Before I start this week's episode of Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things, I would just like everyone to know, we know, we understand, we saw the list too, and we feel your pain. We were snubbed by the Academy. No nominations for Zero Credits. It's an outrage. But we have to move on, and we'll all just try to get through this difficult, uncertain time together. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's Cancel the Oscars John. Together we're Henry and Cancel the Oscar John. Yes, I said that right. Uh, Coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of that there zeitgeist. Now, you know, I wasn't a big fan of canceling the Oscars until I personally was snubbed which i feel is a disgrace for diversity everywhere right no other among the sea of of diverse candidates i feel like two white men in their 30s doing a podcast is just something we're not seeing in the academy today so like we deserve the nomination for best picture I don't really feel like it's something we're seeing in, I don't know, the world. Yeah, we are. So I was just in the middle of explaining that uh, we are like a unicorn in media when I'm pretty sure the Academy took us off the air for a second. And that's frightening. So I'm no longer going to push for us to win uh, an Oscar. That's right. Much like uh, a number of other right wing ideologues. Uh, we think that we are being censored and deplatformed by some unknowable organization. In this case, the Academy of Film. I actually don't know what the Academy stands for. Me either, but I do want to nitpick your wording. Other right-wing ideologues? Yeah, just like all other people in our cohort... What? Uh, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Since when are we any wing other than the wings of the ghost of the zeitgeist? Wait, are we not right-wing ideologues? Last time I checked, I don't think we had any beliefs or loyalties or even things we care about. Well, what are we doing here? If we're not right-wing ideologues, how are two white men in their 30s supposed to make a living off of podcasting? Oh, you were under the impression that we would ever make money off of this? Yeah, I thought, you know, we'd talk about things, the zeitgeist, whatever. We'd eventually jump on some mushroom supplements, then some workout routines, then we'd make a lot of apology videos for I don't even know what. And eventually, you know, the buccarinos would roll in. Oh, I have not been doing any of that. Which might explain our lack of buccarinos coming in. Do you mean I've been buying these alcoholic beverages out of pocket this whole time? I thought I was using the corporate card. We don't have a corporate card. That explains why it has my name on it and I get (laughs) the bills for it and they're all overdue. Yeah, uh, no one... No one would lend us, no one would open a line of credit for us based on our name alone. Oh, that makes so much sense because I called for a credit line increase to Chase, Bragg. Uh, I called for a, a credit line increase to Chase. Bragg. And uh, I kept saying zero credits. And they said, yes, sir, that's right. You have zero dollars left in your available line of credit. 
Yeah, because it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, tough times yeah. out there. People but, are silencing strong voices on the right wing, and we are one of them. We are not a, a strong voice of anything, especially not the right wing. But speaking of alcoholic beverages, uh, what are you drinking tonight there, buddy? Uh, I am drinking, as a matter of fact, a, it's a, there's, there's a little bit going on here. It's a Shiner Tall Tales cocktail-inspired hard seltzer, a watermelon margarita flavor. You know me, big fan of seltzers and a big fan of drinking them. Yeah, I, did, I, I guess I didn't know Shiner got into the seltzer game. Uh, they did. Uh, these were... So I'll tell you a story. Texas froze again, but to a much lesser degree than it did last time, thank God. It's true. And when it was still just very cold rain, uh, my my fiancé and I wanted to get some some essentials, some sparkling water, and maybe some alcohol to uh, to ride out the storm. And the only thing that was available at HEB were these uh, Shiner Tall Tales. That was the only drink available in the market. It was the only one we saw on the Favor app. Ah, okay, gotcha. Now, uh, I, I want to entice you, Henry, because I do have two of them here. But as part of the marketing for the Shiner Tall Tales brand, each one does actually have a little myth and legend printed on it. Oh, and that's pretty clever because of the Tall Tales thing. Yeah, would you like to hear the watermelon margarita one and then maybe keep our listeners coming back for more as I drink the additional flavors? Sure, why not? Let's let's go ahead right now. Pull up a pull up a blanket, listener, and uh, like a pillow, maybe a cup of hot chocolate. And uh let's listen to the tall tale of the watermelon cocktail. Yeah, so just, you know, enter the Mind Palace. I want you to imagine some spurs jangling in the distance, maybe some some lap steel guitar music. Legend of the Watermelon Margarita. Uh, do you feel like that accent's appropriate? Are you trying to do, like, your best Sam Elliott? It's, uh, yeah, Sam Elliott adjacent. Yeah. It's uh, fine. Okay, well, as long as it's fine. Legend tells of a mysterious woman who walks through the watermelon patch down in old San Antone. Locals say it's the ghost of Margarita, the watermelon maiden. Wait, hold on. What? I've not, I've not read this before. <laughs> to find out if the legend were true, our brewers set out to spend the night. The wind howled and the trees shook, but the brave brewers weren't scared until they saw Margarita. But lucky for them, she sensed their courage and offered an ancient recipe for the watermelon margarita. Would our brewers lie to you? It's, uh, the part at the end is kind of confrontational. Yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, wait, no, really, this really happened. Come on, we're not protesting too much. So, uh, a watermelon woman... Watermelon Maiden, I'm sorry. Whose uh, name is Margarita. Whose name is Margarita has uh inexplicably a great recipe for a watermelon margarita. Now I wonder how did she how did she convey this recipe? Because like ostensibly this is a ghost. Yeah. Uh ghosts can talk. How? They don't have the physical vocal cord. 
you know, real warbly like. Okay, she was like, one pot tequila. <laughs> Actually, I believe it was closer to filtered carbonated water, <laughs> alcohol from cane sugar, <laughs> stevia leaf extract. <laughs> Wait a second, when did she die? <laughs> Carbonated water. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sodium citrate. Uh, they squint. They're like, Beverly, you died last week. <laughs> you, you died last week. I'm, I mean, it's as far as tasting notes for the watermelon margarita goes, uh, it's a seltzer and it uh, tastes like uh, watermelon. But, you know, as far as <laughs> seltzers go, it's not bad. It's, it's right. not bad. Yeah, it could be way worse and way more cloying and way more shitty because fuck seltzers, but these ones are okay. Well, that's good. That's a high recommendation for a seltzer since they all kind of are the same at this point. It's like drinking a LaCroix that might get you not buzzed, but like lightheaded. There's there was not to like. Uh, kvetch about seltzers too much but there's been this like race to the top of the artificial sweetener hill where these things just taste undrinkable at this point and this one i don't know tastes kind of juicy tastes kind of fruity not overly sweet it's okay i'd recommend it all right well that's the only recommendation we need there we go what are you drinking henry well as you guys know uh i was originally intending to extend my dry january uh, an extra nine or ten days. I forget where I landed on that. And I'm sad to say uh, I, I caved. And I'm, I'm now – I'm no longer dry. I, I'm now wet. And so I'm following up that, that broken promise of, of continuing my dry streak by drinking the, the hardest-hitting alcoholic beverage I have currently in my home. That's right, John. I'm drinking a Coke, Coke Zero Sugar. Wow, a Coke Zero Sugar? Yep. You're going to get faded. I know. I, so I, I did have two, no, three rum and Cokes and then two Dark and Stormies over the weekend. And that was enough for me for a while. So I'm <laughs> I'm not following up again with, with continuing. I might stick just to weekends for a little bit, kind of ease back into these horrible, horrible habits I've gotten into. I think that that's noble, uh, everything. And, you know, there's a concept that we don't talk about enough in society, and that's temperance. Just the idea that you should be able to do anything in moderation. Yeah. Uh, because there, there's a philosophical train of thought that would say that abstention is almost equally unhealthy to overindulgence because you're you're creating these like dogmatic hierarchies for your lives and it's a disordered way to live in either way not like saying sober people are wrong or or drunks right. are wrong but I don't well drunk drunks are wrong i think yeah drunks are drunks are wrong like, but they have a problem when i say when i say drunks i mean like alcoholism drunks yes or not or just even, not, not yeah. all people who get drunk or even people who just like drink habitually but aren't like it's not ruining their lives. It's yeah. bad for you. I think we can objectively say that in terms of health outcomes between never drinking and drinking all the time, never drinking is way physically healthier for you. It's true. You're right. But I do agree with the, like, the dogmatic sort of spectrum. Like, And this could just be the way that it's portrayed in the media, but 
anytime there's like an Alcoholics Anonymous sort of like story beat in a larger story, it's always like, I can never drink again. And it's like, well, that seems awful. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, uh, we live in a feast or famine society based on clubs. Uh, and once again, this is not saying that anyone who had a problem and then got sober or who has been lifetime sober is wrong. But I think that we do have a tendency as people, or at least people in the Western world, to gravitate towards like dogmatic clubs and rules. So it's a lot easier to say to yourself, I'm the kind of person who doesn't eat carbs than it is to say, I'm the kind of person who eats carbs when it's in line with right. my goals or desires, or I'm the, I'm the person who never has one night stands versus I'm the kind of person who has one night stands when they appeal to me and make sense in the greater scheme of my life. Like that second one is much, is a much harder thing to be. <laughs> and and also explain, I, I think it's yeah. really, it really comes down to what's easier to say. <laughs> I mean, I, the same thing applies for me in that I tell people I'm a vegan. I'm not really, I'll never eat meat again, but like, it's just easier to say I'm vegan than to explain right. everything that's going on, you know? Right, right. Yeah, you'll never eat meat again, but you will stab an animal to death at any given moment. Absolutely. Every day, if it fits my goals. Right, right. If a squirrel is in your way, you will catch and kill that squirrel for no reason. Oh, I can wrench a squirrel's head off faster than you can blink. I know. I know. I've heard it happen. I haven't seen it happen. Yeah, but because I've heard it's it. too fast to see. It's horrifying, the sound. Yeah. Yeah, but you're, for all intents and purposes, you're a vegan. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in every other... It's just easier to say, you know? Right, right. Oh, man. All right. Let's get on topic. Come on. We, we've talked way too much about Joe Rogan. No one wants to hear us talk about Joe Rogan again even though we've got some headlines to quickly say right now. Uh-huh. Yes, the the only thing we'll say about Joe Rogan for the entirety of this episode. Yeah, just a few quick headlines. I'll kick us off. Uh, Spotify quietly removes 113 episodes of Joe Rogan's podcast amidst misinformation and horrible inward clips. Okay. Is it is okay. I want to make it clear that I I don't know how to broach this. Saying the N-word's wrong. I feel like adding the word horrible is over-editorializing and makes the headline seem uh, overly sensationalized. I think I, if you just said N-word yeah. clips, it conveys I, the, the message. They're quoting somebody there, because both the words misinformation and horrible are in quotes. Interesting. I don't know what they're quoting, but that was just a headline. I don't... I read the headline as a verbatim... Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so Spotify apparently is admitting, hey, there might be a problem here. Uh, here, poof, there goes 113 episodes of the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not saying nothing when you can say there were instances in which Joe Rogan said the N-word. Okay, cool. You know, some people do that. It's bad and have their careers ruined over it. Um, how many episodes did you have to remove? Oh, 113. I don't know if he said the N-word in all 113. I don't even know the context. I li literally, this is just a headline. Yeah. 
This is the worst kind of journalism, which is to say it's not even journalism. I I think there there are uh, compilations out there of him uh, saying it in a number of episodes. So it's probably a decent amount. Yeah. You you said you had some headlines. Oh, nothing Joe Rogan related. All right. Well, then let that be the only thing that we say. Spotify has responded. That's it. That's the end of the story. This is all going to be quietly swept under the rug. Also, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has pulled support of Joe Rogan after learning about said inward clips. <laughs> <laughs> In that he left a comment on Joe Rogan's Instagram where he's like, I no longer want to meet with you and share a bottle of badass Terramana tequila it with w- you. Because yeah. people who say the N-word burst into flames when they drink Terramana tequila. It was actually it was a comment on an, on an Instagram post of just a knocked over tequila glass oh so, uh, it, it was so just sad. the emoji of a knocked over tequila glass <laughs> he and, he reached out to the unicode consortium <laughs> to get that one added yeah yeah and he was the only they were like you can use this one time one time only yeah no one will see this on their phones we're gonna roll it back we're gonna give you a special escape character to use it and then yeah. after that no one can use you're, knocked over tequila yeah, glass that you're on your own Anyway, that's enough about that forever. We're never talking about it again. It is so, dead. Yeah. Something really monumental would have to happen for us to talk about it again. Yeah, he would have to run for president. <laughs> yeah. There's bigger news to ta- to charcoal. <laughs> There's bigger news to charcoal. You ever start saying a word and immediately you can tell that's not how you pronounce any word? Sometimes. Yeah, that's what happened to me. John, you have some headlines. Uh, yeah, I have some headlines. I don't know that they're anything that's uh, super meaningful. Uh, so one that I thought was, uh, this one's making the rounds on the social media. Henry? Have you heard of Millennial? Uh, The Generation or something else? Uh, No, The Generation, I believe. I've heard one or two times that I am a Millennial. Well, it's interesting because, so not to blow up anyone's spot, but of the two people hosting this podcast, one of them owns a home. And it's Henry. And the other one... What?! Uh, the the other one uh, does not own a home. And you know what? I think this uh, this report from the fa- from a Fannie Mae survey released recently backs up my shiftless no account renters. That's right. More than 80 percent of Americans aged 18 to 34 said that now was a bad time to buy a house, according to a Fannie Mae survey released yesterday. Okay, well, uh, yeah. So for half of those people, the people who are like 18 to 26, duh. <laughs> yes, it is, it is interesting that the bar for this goes as low as 18. And uh, just 25% said it's a good time to buy a house right now. Interesting that more than 80% said it's a bad time, but... 25% said it's a good time. This survey is is fascinating to me. I wonder yeah. I wonder how it was set up. The, the uh, survey, like most data reports, goes to 110%. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, for error. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> not not to account for error, but to induce it. <laughs> to, to induce error. And to show effort. They they went that extra 10%. They really did. That's good statistics. Uh, now, this Fannie Mae survey has been reported on in a bunch of different ways across multiple media outlets. Uh, depending on what financial bent you want to take, some people are taking it the direction of millennials don't understand the housing market they're saying it's usually people who are on the side of like real estate brokers and agents want to spin this as like we have to recontextualize buying a house for millennials because people think it's a bad time uh to buy a house and other places are contextualizing i believe correctly which is it's not a good time if you can't afford it exactly for sure like just in the, in the Austin housing market, where m- l- people first time home owned, but wait, what, what am I trying to say? First time home buyers were literally being priced out of the market by investor groups who were offering a hundred over the asking price, a hundred k over the asking price, all in cash. So even if they could afford to buy a house. They were being priced out of the market, which a good conclusion to draw from that would be it's not a good time to buy a house because of all of this bullshit going on. Yeah, it's not a good time to buy a house. Just in terms of statistics, medium home sale price reached a record high across the entire United States of $365,000 in January, which is almost 30% higher than it was in January of 2019. Yeah. Ridiculous. I think the only empirical conclusion that one can draw is if you don't have quite the spending power of like a holding company or an investment firm, it is not a good time to buy a house. And I think what people fail to notice, so some of these articles I've been reading, and I I don't want to cite them because, I don't know, I'm I'm not an academic. Yeah. Uh, But they're, they're citing like, in a fair housing market, it's unfair to malign real estate developers uh, as or real estate investment trust, real estate concerns, etc. as being the villain here because it's a fair market. So anyone should be able to buy that house. However, the problem is there are so many uh, exogenous variables outside of your ability to afford a house because real estate developers buy quickly aggressively massively over the asking price like if you were selling a home and you weren't like morally uh interested in selling it to an individual you'd be an idiot to turn down a real estate developer because they're offering you 15 percent to 100k over the asking price and they're willing to move within days yeah exactly from a selling point and a lot of the times you don't even know who the buyer is. Like you never meet with them. You meet with an agent who represents them. So you really don't know or you can choose not to know and just take the money. And any person in that position would just take the money. It's fine to do so if you're motivated that sort of way. And I mean it gets worse because we're talking specifically – about a cohort of people around the age of 32, which is the median age of buying your first home in the United States as of the last, like, 20 years, I think. Okay. Because 
you have to look at this demographic and the kind of houses they can afford, number one, but also the kind of houses that they want to afford. Typically, your usual starter home will be about 1450 square feet, usually a little bit less. That's ideal for a starter home. Uh, that makes up 7% of the new construction in the United States. It used to make up 50% of the new construction. So we're wow. not building starter homes for people now. No, of, of course not. And I, there's a compounding factor, too, because people who live in the city, right? They have kids, their wages stagnate, even though they make very good money. So they move to the suburbs. Like, for the most part, take Austin for the for an example. It's pushing people out of the city center into the suburbs, and the city center is turning into businesses and condos. And by pushing people out into the suburbs, you're juicing up the prices in the suburbs. So even those starter homes that millennials maybe could afford before are now like super juiced up in price because people are getting pushed out of the city to make room for condos. Yeah. And before all of this housing insanity of just the past couple of years, like even when we first moved to Austin, there was already this weird push not to the suburbs, but to the outer limits like your 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 cities that aren't even quite cities yet. They're, they're they're really just neighborhoods in the middle of fields with highways connecting them to infrastructure, with no real support elements. Be, like those that the that infrastructure is being built after the houses, and there was a push to go that far out to be able to afford something. And even those now, those are bought up. Like it's, it's, we're in a zero sum game here where nobody can afford anything except for the, the, the crazy investors and real, uh, the holding companies. And I mean, something has to change and the infrastructure, by the way, in the suburbs and the sub suburbs, completely horrifying. Like the, the strodes, the high the high speed streets that kind of turn into roads, but there's nothing to like keep you from going 50 miles an hour on them. And there's no sidewalks, horrible places to raise a family. Terrible. It's a bleak outlook, but there, I don't want to say that there's a silver lining, but I do think that we are in an interesting time. So there are two like converging means happening right now in that the average millennial is 32 and the average age of a first time home buyer in the United States is 32. So whatever the housing market does over these next few years is going to set the tone for maybe the rest of our generation. Yeah. We're getting to the point where so like we're getting to the point where where millennials are, or the median age of millennials are hitting some of these critical age ranges were monumental what am i trying to say like uh, major life events are supposed to be happening and what has been happening before for the elder millennials if we want to call them that is that they would get to these points and they would they would have to delay basically delay your first purchase of like a house delay getting married delay having kids uh, but we're getting to the point where there's too many of us to keep that delaying going on. Something's going to have to change. Push is going to have to come to shove. And we're going to need a little bit of regulation, maybe that just for an instance, gives a little bit of preferential treatment to first-time home 
buyers. Um, that's just a for instance, but like something is going to have to shift because otherwise you're either going to be renting forever, not building up any equity and paying to live in – at that point, you're basically might as well pay to live in a, a nice apartment because your money's not going to be doing much otherwise, you know? Yeah, I mean it's – it's going to be interesting because, to your point, I think lumped in with that group that we are in, uh, approaching our in our early thirties, the the elder millennials have also been pushed back to join us, and I think that as a result of things like this, we have gotten uh, preferable legislation in the past, like FHA loans, which incentivize people with a loan of up to five hundred thousand dollars to get a primary residence. And I think we need more of that. And it's tough to advocate, advocate for antagonistic legislation, but like we got to start, we got to start limiting the number of properties people can buy if they're not primary residences and they don't sell them. Yeah. Like we've got to start taxing those people out the ass because they're constraining the housing supply and making it so an entire very powerful, very well-educated generation just can't afford to live. We're, we're already seeing a little bit of this in other countries. I think it's Canada or, or just the city of uh, Ottawa, like 80%, a large percent. I'm not going to use specific numbers. A huge percent of, of homes being bought or property being bought was being uh, bought by people overseas, holding companies overseas. Um for various reasons, we don't have to get into it, but that city, I want to say it's Ottawa, had to pass some regulation that's, that curbed that a little bit so that people living there could buy homes rather than properties being held by holding companies from foreign interests. Yeah, I mean, we have to do something because I'm in a position that I'm very lucky to be in, uh, and it, it's... It's tough to talk about the things you don't like about your life when you, you've been successful in other ways. But, like, I need to buy a house eventually, and it's really hard. Yeah. It's no, really I... genuinely hard, and I can't imagine working much harder to advance my career than I've done so far. And I do not know how I'm going to afford to live in a house for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's insane. I'm, the only reason that we even have a house today like it, it number one is because I've been saving since high school. I, I didn't know what I was saving for. I was just like, I need money. I, money is good to have. And I just kept saving and saving and saving until the point came where it's like, you, you got to put down 10% of the house's value as a deposit to, to buy the house. And I was like, Oh, that works out to everything I've saved since high school. Uh, so we got lucky there, but then we also, the timing, we just got extremely lucky because we bought our house right before the housing market in Austin exploded to astronomical insane levels. If we had waited a month, we would not have a house. Yeah, it's uh, – I mean be grateful for being lucky. I'm, I'm trying to be better about that uh, and also like not seething with envy over my friends who do have houses. Not just you, but you're part of the problem. Uh, Thank you. I like that. But I don't know. I just need a place for my dog to play. 
Yeah. If I can get a condo that has a place for Leo to play, I'll be happy. I don't care. I mean, condos can be affordable. We've got a couple of friends who bought a condo maybe years ago, and they're still waiting for it to be built. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. New construction, and uh, it's just the supply chain issues and the, the, you know, just material, the cost of material goods going up, stuff like that has just delayed, delayed, delayed them being able to move into the house they've already purchased, basically. Well, you know, I'll just buy a condo and rent it out. Yeah. But, I mean, get hooked up with a realtor uh, and just explain all this to them, because if anyone can make stuff happen, it's a realtor. I gotta get a real, like, shark realtor. I want a real scumbag realtor who can make things happen for me. I Uh, want a murderous realtor. We've got a realtor who survived cancer. Is that... Oh, he killed cancer? Yeah, he murdered his cancer. Okay, I'll I'll take his details. He also can't feel anything in his fingers, so like he could probably strangle someone and not feel a thing. Oh hell yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, we will. Yeah, definitely. I, we can send over that information. But yeah, no, it's just insane. I it's I don't think people and I know I it's people are not aware of how big of a problem we're gonna head into as. Boomers don't retire and millennials run into ceilings and walls where they can no longer progress in their career. And so they can no longer get pay raises to keep up with just the increasing cost of everything. Everything is way too expensive. I mean, I think there's this, uh, it's definitely been propagated in places like the Bay Area, but there's this philosophy that, like, <laughs> this sounds really terrible, but if you work at a job where anyone in the next four steps above you is over the age of 50, change jobs. Like, there, there's this there's this school in tech circles of boomer avoidance where you try to avoid any hierarchy that involves you having to negotiate a boomer retiring. Yeah. Because they're just not retiring. It, like This is a problem that the academic world has faced forever just because of the nature of tenured positions. You get people who get a job and they stay there for their entire career and they make that career last as long as possible just because – I don't know. I don't know why. They do. They like working. Maybe. That could be it. Uh, but the point I mean, is also you don't get pensions anymore, which was a big reason why people would retire. Now right. what? You're going to live off of your 401k loss avoidance, baby. You're not going to want to retire and lose money from something you've been saving money in your entire life. Yeah, that that's it then. Yeah, the loss of pensions, the loss of incentivization to retire just means there's no vertical mobility in careers anymore without – job hopping or or being so aggressive in your career that you become a shell of a person and then you you find finally get to the top and you're never going to retire like you're you're going to recreate the problem oh absolutely we we are going to become the boomers that's why i advocate uh get a, a stupid job that you hate do nothing in it and just take home a paycheck and then just wake up each morning thinking you know, is today the day that I let a car crash into my car just so something different happens? 
It's uh I mean that's dark, but I I see what you mean. I was going to go darker, but I decided not to. Oh no. Uh well, anyway, do you want another tall tale? Yeah, I think right about this time I need another tall tale to get me through these dark times. Well, here we go. Once again, enter the mind palace, the jangling of spurs, the gentle lap steel guitar echoing through, I don't know, a canyon. Things can't echo in a prairie, right? No, the sound just kind of keeps going forever in one there's, direction until it hits a skyscraper. There's nothing to reverberate off of. And you know the condos in that skyscraper are expensive. Yeah, they, yeah, and yeah, more jokes. Uh, well, I am drinking a, a Mexican martini Uh-oh. by uh, Shiner Tall Tales. So settle in for the legend of the Mexican martini. All right. Way out in the desert. Down old Mexico way, there grew s- some sumptuous limes. Ellipsis. <laughs> <laughs> Up okay. a fifty-foot agave plant in the nest of an angry red-tailed hawk. Those limes were just what our brewers needed, so they spooked the hawk with a rendition of "Home on the Range" so loud it made the sand shake. They snagged the limes and hightailed it back to Shiner to finish perfecting this Mexican martini. Could have happened. (laughs) (laughs) So I think every one of these ends with some kind of uh, interrogative saying that it couldn't have happened. Well, if you look at the tall tale, they're tall tales. Like, that's a whole genre of, like, you know, could have happened. I gotta say... If we're talking about, like, raising the stake, like, brinksmanship, going from there was a a ghostly watermelon maiden to there were some limes growing on a gothic plant with a hawk, this one's not as cool as the ghost. Right. I thought they were all going to involve, like, supernatural figures or some type of element of otherworldliness, but this was literally just some limes on a cactus with a hawk. I don't... I... I feel like that exists. I feel like that's a thing. I mean, limes don't... Limes don't grow on agave plants. Well, these did. Well, let me tell you, Mexican martini actually tastes a lot better than watermelon margarita. Well, that's great. I'm glad. Uh, so maybe you found found a good flavor there. Yeah, it's a little limey. It's, uh, it's pretty dry, it. not overly sweet. 50 Very limes. British. 50 limes. Wow. Per can? Yeah, 50 limes per can. You know when you get a bottle, when you get a can of Spindrift? What? Spindrift? It's a seltzer water made with real lemons and limes. Never. And they say, in this can is like 0.3 limes or whatever. This says, in this can, 50 limes. Well, that's more limes. Yeah, so this is a better deal. Yeah, you're getting your money's worth. I don't know if it's a better deal. I spent like $30 on these because I had them favored to Oh, me. yikes. Ah, I got like 20 of them. Who cares? Okay. That's a dollar per can with other math involved. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a dollar-ish. <laughs> a little bit, little bit more than a dollar per can. It's a lot closer to a dollar than infinity. <laughs> I'm not good at math. I never learned. That's fine. You don't need it in your day-to-day life. Nope. Math is for squares. 
the computers do it for you or rectangles. I know that what I said was a response to using squares, but I, it sounds like I'm saying a computer is just a complicated rectangle. <laughs> computers. A lot of people think it's electronics or some type of math involved with how they do the computing. computering. Uh, no, it's all in the shape. Yeah, you know, computers are just rectangles with, you know, other things going on. I've never seen a circular computer, so it must, the rectangle is good for math. I, uh, I saw a deal on an Alienware computer that had, like, an oval case. Oh! I was like, what kind of nerd would buy that? Now that I think about it, I think it's the HP Omen. I don't know if they still make it, but the HP Omen is like an an octagon. (laughs) Listen, computers are big boxes. We strayed too far from the light of God when we made micro ATX cases. Everything oh. should be full tower, beige, massive cubes. Not cubes, massive blocks. Yeah, it's not an octagon. I'm sorry to say. It's a cube. The HP Omen is a cube on its side. Oh, an interestingly oriented cube. Yeah, I, I unfortunately can't copy-paste a picture into the, the the Zencaster chat, so this is going to have to go on uh, Facebook, but you can see that see it there. Let me see. Uh, my favorite... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's You've not how that. I thought they would arrange it. It's weird, huh? But yeah. Well, Still technically a rectangle square. Just to be clear, I don't understand the appeal because computers are just big boxes with uh, different expensive parts in them. Why get a fun shape? Yeah, I don't know. I think the only thing is it does stand out on the shelf of your local Fry's Electronics. May they rest in peace. Of your local Fry's Electronics. You're like, hmm, that's a really interesting computer case. And the air is wet. <laughs> The air is strangely wet, and no one seems to work here. That's a really interesting computer. Also, am I surrounded by ghosts? <laughs> That's a really interesting computer. Am I dead? Is, is, is this electronic store haunted? I was walking for a really long time trying to find a monopod for my camera, so I sat in a strange little wet food court thing with crates of balls energy drink in the corner. Am I dead? Yeah. Man, I miss fries. I loved going there when they were... When when we first moved here, they, they had everything. Yeah. And spades. And then, like, every time we went after that, it was just less... Unless, but the amount of people working there was constant. You could never find anyone, even when they were fully stocked. My favorite thing about Fry's is it's like a closet. Like, no one really knows where anything is. They know it's in there somewhere. Uh, no, I, I miss Fry's. I love Fry's. Fry's had a very distinctive, like, aesthetic appeal of, like, an early 2000s land party. Yeah. Like, I can't explain it to you, but Fry's felt like PC gaming in the year 2001 to 2008. Yeah, they're that one friend who comes over with the the bucket of components. They're like, hey, what do you need? You know, we're going to make this work. We're going to hook everything up and we're going to play Diablo until we literally pass out. Yeah, it's PC gaming died with Crisis. I'm sorry, but it did. 
Oh, well, they're making a new one, so good luck. I mean, they've, what, four? Who cares? I don't know. I've never played a single Crisis. Every single time I put a new computer together, I do open up Crisis. And you know what? For the last three computers, it's run on maximum settings, so I don't know what I'm trying to prove. Right. All right, let's pivot. Let's pivot hard, John. Pivot hard off of Fry's Electronics? Yes. Uh, another institution that is probably dead but doesn't know it yet. Uh, the Oscar Academy Awards. <laughs> the Oscar... Wait, I don't know if we'll have time to cover this. Just so everyone knows, uh, Frontier and Spirit Airlines are merging. Okay, I can see it. I I can see it, but now I think it's really convenient because now I only have to look for one logo to ignore when I'm looking for flights <laughs> instead of two. Uh, I like that they have kind of uh, similar themes and that, you know, Spirit is like, oh, look at you. You've got a lot of Spirit trying to take one of our flights. And Frontier <laughs> is like, yeah, we're kind of like the Wild West of planes and that you don't know if your seat's going to have a seat belt. Yeah, it's a brave new frontier. Our planes sound like parking dogs. <laughs> I'm I, sorry. Did you want a tray table with your seat? That's an extra $5. <laughs> We're going to have aggressive people who smell like cigarettes try to sell you credit cards oh, right man. near the end of your flight. I like to imagine at the M&A meeting for the Spirit Frontier merger, they're like, we think that we can combine the cultures of our brands. I think that we can bring it all together under one roof. And what we did was we took Spirit and we took Frontier and we boiled it down to what's our culture? What do we stand for? What's the what's the ethos that brings everyone into work every day? And we think we've got it. Welcome to Fuck Off Airlines. <laughs> Welcome to... You, you should count yourself lucky you even made it. <laughs> We have a new premium package. If you don't sign up for the credit card, a flight attendant will dry fire a nine millimeter Beretta <laughs> into your mouth. <laughs> we cannot shoot you, but we can dry fire the Beretta into your mouth. I'm sorry. Did you want your bags to end up at the, your same destination as you? That's an extra $100 charge. <laughs> we have a new technology called the bag spike. <laughs> Every time a bag leaves a spirit slash frontier plane, it is pierced stem to stern with a cast iron spike. <laughs> and no no additional cost <laughs> no additional cost that one that one's on us <laughs> that's a perk we offer that to you all right uh don't forget to, to buy our safety feature uh <laughs> it includes the life vest underneath the seat <laughs> i love flying spirit the one time i flew spirit uh, you know, I don't know Spirit or Frontier which one is better, but both can give you the endearing experience of traveling at hundreds of miles per hour to your destination in a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad. I'm glad that Frontier and Spirit found each other because, you know, I feel like they can only do worse. I, I really... I have reached a point in my life that I've been looking to my entire life, looking forward to my entire life, which is I now get to be picky about airlines and I will never fly Spirit or Frontier again. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. They're, 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 it's insane. Uh, I remember we flew it exactly one time 
And it just, it felt like everything was, even the stewardesses, you know, bless, or flight attendants, that's what they're called, uh, bless their hearts, were held together by duct tape. Yes. It's, I, I would like to think that if I crashed on a frontier plane, I wouldn't have to worry about all the, you know, flotation devices under the seat, because I just disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the planes are different, but you know what I mean when you like, you have a friend, you have two friends, both of them have 2015 Toyota Corollas, but one of those Toyota Corollas has been rode hard and put up <laughs> wet in a way you really can't explain. Yeah, it just, it feels more dangerous because it's, yeah, it's been through a lot. Yeah, that did, yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news, though, between Spirit and Frontier, like the merger, they've doubled their planes from two to four. Yes. Uh, actually, <laughs> uh, perhaps my favorite my favorite data point about this is that uh, a combined Frontier and Spirit Airlines would hold more than a quarter of the total addressable market of all Florida airports. Okay, what? <laughs> Apparently, Spirit and Frontier combined. Oh my god, I've never told this story. I'll tell it in a second. Spirit and Frontier combined make up a quarter of all flights out of Florida. Oh, a lot A lot of stuff is making sense now. It, it really is. Uh, Spirit and Frontier are uh, definitely the Florida Airlines. I don't know that I told this uh, Austin Airport South Terminal story before. Oh, you had to take the little shuttle? Uh, I didn't have to take the little shuttle. Oh. We went to the South Terminal uh, because we were flying out on uh, Frontier, and I forget where we were going. Somewhere. Uh, And I've never had to do this before. It was like the gate we were at was odd because there wasn't like a skyway. We were on the ground level. Right. I "I don't know what's happening. And it was raining and freezing out. And then no shit. The plane landed taxied over in front of our gate. And we had to run out of a door into the dark of night and the freezing rain up one of the stair cars. Like we were refugees (laughs) boarding that frontier plane. It was great. Amazing. I just, I, this is from a place of privilege, but I would never work that hard to save a hundred dollars again. Yeah. I mean, you're already going through the hassle of the TSA and security checks and all the other horrible things that come with airline travel. You might as well spring a little bit to be guaranteed that you have a headrest. You're already dying. Why go to hell? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you were saying about the Oscars. Yeah, speaking of other horrible held-together-with-duct-tape institutions that maybe just need to stop trying, uh, the Academy Awards, or whatever they're called, uh, what are they called, the Foreign Investors League? <laughs> what are you talking about? Who makes the nominees? I thought it was all just... I don't know, who cares? Um, they announced the nominations for the whatever th- annual Academy Awards. 94th. Look who's a fanboy. Oh, it's the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Right. What sciences? I guess, yeah, the technical aspect. That makes sense. The 94th annual Academy Award nominations were released this morning. And uh, just a few couple of things to uh, to... to 
to point out, uh, namely that Spider-Man No Way Home was not nominated for Best Picture, and so I'm rioting. I mean, it was never going to be. I know, but it's very good. No, it's it's great, but it's yeah. not going to be. I'm actually looking at some of the nominations right now, and I've seen... Hold on. One of these, and I'm going to see the second this weekend. Yeah, so of the Best Picture nominations, I have seen West Side Story. Of the Best Picture nomination, I have seen Dune, and that's it. I forgot I saw Dune. Uh, what's notable about uh, the, the Best Picture noms, we've got two Netflix films on here and Don't Look Up. And uh, what's the other one? Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog, yes. Power of the Dog, who walked away from the nominations with 12 nominations. and They have the most this year. Uh, also notable, Drive My Car is a, a foreign film, which uh, does that, those rarely before Parasite got nominated for Best Picture. Um, Drive My Car, of course, being a Japanese film that I know nothing about. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see it. It looks interesting. I, I like that Bong Joon-ho really blew it open for foreign films to finally get in the best picture category. Right. And then the rest of the, the people here, I mean, it, it's just kind of some of the same. You got, a, you got a Steven Spielberg, you got a Kenneth Branagh, who I don't know who's ever been nominated before, but hey, that's pretty cool. But then you got Adam McKay, who's like, he's been around. I don't think an Adam McKay picture has been nominated for Best Picture before. That's that's big. I also think it's interesting because uh, I still haven't seen Don't Look Up, but I want to see it because it seems like yeah. politically a movie that everyone has. Okay, so what's interesting to me is everyone who watches Don't Look Up seems to think it's about people who aren't them, whereas Adam McKay is uh, pretty definitively gone on the record for who that movie is about. You. Yes, it's it's about you. I, largely, it's about neoliberalism at large. Uh, yeah. But it seems like a lot of people are like, ah, oh, Don't Look Up is about right-wing climate deniers. Or Don't Look mm. Up is about, like, the libs. I'm like, no, I don't know that that's what it's about. I thought it was just about scientists not being listened to. Oh, yeah, classic Godzilla. Yeah, classic every horror movie. Horror? Classic Godzilla. I guess horror to scientists. We got a P.T. Anderson in there, right? And Licorice Pizza? Yeah, P.T. Anderson, Licorice Pizza. Canceled, canceled age difference. Can't show that in a movie. Canceled. I have no idea what you're talking about. Police the outer limits of what's acceptable discourse. Canceled. You're going to have to like elaborate and stop just saying the word canceled. I honestly have no clue what you're saying. Uh, apparently licorice pizza has like an age difference romance between someone in their 20s and someone who is 15 but like i don't i don't think it's it's, i don't think it's perverse to portray that in art i I mean it's of the time period probably yeah but also like it's not let's just whatever let's just move on uh yeah some some cool things kenneth brana being nominated for best director that might be his first ever and uh uh, ryosuke hamaguchi who i'm hope I said that correctly, for Drive My Car, uh, also being nominated as a foreign director, which is pretty cool to see Jane Campion. Uh, Power of the Dog, also cool to see. So, like, we're, we're getting a little bit tiny, the tiniest drip of diversity in the Best Director category for maybe, 
like the second year in a row. I feel like <laughs> of these, I do genuine. I'm gonna see Nightmare Alley, but I do genuinely want to see Power of the Dog and Drive My Car because Power of the Dog like has cleaned up at every awards yeah. thing, so it must be worth seeing. Uh, there's some really good actresses and actors, none of which I begrudge for any other reason. They're, they're all they're all seem really cool. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I Apparently, mean, Denzel Washington was in the tragedy of Macbeth. That feels like something I need to see. Oh, the tragedy of Macbeth looks incredible. Uh, what is it? Is it Joel or Ethan Cohen directing an adaptation of Macbeth in black and white? Maybe I have no idea, but that's that. that like that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we should absolutely watch it. Yeah, uh, no surprises for you. I mean, Kirsten Dunst is uh, alive and well. Yeah. <laughs> she exists. Yeah, apparently I love J- her. Apparently, J.K. Simmons isn't being in the Ricar- being the Ricardos, so maybe that's something I need to check out. I Is J.K. Simmons, is, has he ever won an Oscar before? I do not. I don't. I really don't. Wait, is he in Sound track. of Metal? No, let's keep he, going. He was in Whiplash. Whiplash, not Sound of Metal, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's so one other cool surprise. Maggie Gyllenhaal got na- nominated for best adapted screenplay of something called The Lost Daughter. Interesting. That's cool. It's pretty neat. Of course, Adam McKay being uh, nominated for best original screenplay for Don't Look Up. I think he won for the big short at adapted screenplay. Am I wrong? Yes, there? he did. He did win for adapted screenplay off of yeah. the Michael Lewis big short. Yeah. Um, uh, my concern with international feature film having drive my car is uh, Parasite had a massive groundswell behind it that, that yeah. I feel like kind of culturally bullied the Oscars into giving it to it, which it deserved. Right. But I feel like it being an international feature film, I don't think you're going to get Parasite double win in both of those categories for drive my car, which is a shame. It is a shame. Yeah. Hopefully it gets some nods if it, I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, what's really interesting is Tick Tick Boom showing up in a bunch of places. The Netflix uh, movie about the guy who wrote Rent. Ooh, actor in a leading role for Andrew Garf Garf. Yeah, Tick Tick Boom there. Film editing. Uh, I like Dune popping up in a bunch of places, like makeup and hairstyling, and of course, like editing and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Most pensive Zendaya. Right, most pensive and most most helpless protagonist, of course. Absolutely, Paul Atreides. And and then here's where I get a little a little ticked because stealth release this year was a really fine, beautiful, intense, anxiety, pulse driving movie called The Green Knight. Yes. Oh, is The Green Knight not in this at all? Not in it at all. Not for cinematography and not for best visual effects. And, and, you know, actors, too. But, like, just there needs to be a category of movie that's, like, best movie that filled you with an an unexplicable feeling of of just overwhelming dread and anxiety that is never quite catharticized. You never get to cathart and and release it. Like, that – I need this movie to be recognized for the, like, the artful betrayal that it is. I mean, the thing, here's my argument for the Green Knight uh, winning Best Picture, which it obviously can't, is like, I don't know, obviously I haven't seen most of these movies, and I'm absolutely talking out of my ass, but like, the Green Knight is absolutely a movie that 
defines the art form for what it is. Yes. Like, you could not have told that story in the same way in any other medium. And I think that that's not true of all movies. I think that there are other mediums you could tell these stories in, but the way that David Lowry chose to tell the story of Sir Gawain was completely unique to film, and in its own way, a total love letter to movies. Absolutely. Yes, it, it's a qual. It has a quality, and I'm also just talking out of my ass. But the film has a qual, like an ethereal quality, an otherworldliness to it that, like, to however long the movie was, it flew by. But I, I, I walked out of that movie having sweat through my shirt because I was transported into the sweaty. Sur- surreal landscape of the Green Knight and this 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 knight's errant journey to fulfill a promise, and by the time I was done watching it, I was exhausted. And no other film, besides possibly Dune, transported me in quite the same way this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if you're talking about movies that are celebrations of movies, you can't beat. The Green Knight, like obviously huge inspirations from like Bram Stoker's Dracula and Marie Antoinette, but there were also like cinematographical inspirations from the greats like Tarkovsky, like the usage of both the usage of cinematography to convey the passage of time in a single shot. Like it's a very smart, yeah, visually fascinating movie. If any movie came out this year deserves to be called art, it was that one. Uh, and maybe Dune as a close second, followed closely by Spider-Man. But <laughs> Yes, you know, the art of Spider-Man. But like, I look at these best picture noms and, you know, let, let me look at them again just to, so I can say this with uh, with some clarity. I actually haven't seen any of these, so I, I can't really say. So besides like Dune – Maybe the power of the dog. Like I always say, like so, like you said, can any of these be told in a different medium? And West Side Story is straight up already a Broadway musical. Well, I mean, so at that least, one's already out. At least we don't have nominated for Best Picture the filmed version of Hamilton that's on Disney. Plus. Yeah. Well, very much I agree. But yeah. I, I don't know, maybe my criteria for judging for something like the Academy Awards is different because I. It sounds like where of a similar ilk. I get annoyed when things aren't nominated. They're celebrations of film and the medium in a unique way. But right. you also don't typically... Parasite was a great example of something like that. Something that so thoroughly understood film that it told a story that couldn't be as compellingly told in any other medium. Right. Exactly. And is filled with nods to those who came before and implementing their techniques in new ways. Like just the whole Hitchcockian vibe that Parasite had from start to finish. Yeah, I I don't know. I can't speak for the Academy. If I were to narrow down Best Pictures for me, it's got to be Dune because that's the only one I've seen. Yeah, uh, Dune was good. West Side Story was actually a very fine adaptation and made a lot of cool changes uh, from the other filmed adaptation from like the whatevers, the 60s, what have you. 
But yeah, it's just, it, I guess I need to see more of these films is what the Academy's telling me. But at the same time, it's like, I saw a bunch of films this year and none of them were these. I'm probably going to make an attempt to see a decent number of these. Is What uh, what Kenneth Branagh movie is in there? Belfast, a movie I know nothing about. I know absolutely nothing about it. I can say for Kenneth Branagh, I did recently watch Murder on the Orient Express. And uh, that one's an interesting one because I think that the way that he chose to tell a story that's very uh, compellingly written <laughs> to the page... Uh, he adapted that in a way that is totally unique to film. Yeah. So I think that he's a very talented director. I mean, he's, he's been directing forever. You know, uh, not, not to say that murder on the Orient express was like good. Traditionally. I love it to death. It's a super flawed, weird yeah. movie that by turns goes like super artsy and then very, uh, fartsy. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, Put me on the street and I'll be the one most excited for Death on the Nile coming out this month. So fascinating that they're like putting all of their advert, all of their marketing surrounds the fact that uh, Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot is the, uh, is I guess the protagonist of, it's so strange. Everything is Gal Gadot and I'm like, but Poirot. Yeah, where's Poirot? At least they fixed his mustache. It's not as segmented as it was. Did they also put 50 pounds on him? <laughs> they did not. Oh, well, interesting. Very interesting choices being made in these movies. Yeah, so, I mean, it, I feel like we had the sentiment I have last a, year. I have a red hat that I wear that says, Make Poirot Fat Again. Oh, man. Make Poirot Fat Again. Mipfa. Mipfa. <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue anyway i think with last year we kind of already made the conclusion that the academy might not be it might not reflect us anymore for sure and i think this is a sort of cementing it where it's just like maybe the academy was never important i mean yeah it's uh it's what i like to call the saturday night live problem yeah which is it's an institution that everyone who sufficiently entrenched in the particular art that it conveys dislikes uh, for it being a kind of homogenous machine for that art. However, everyone kind of has to pay attention to it because of how uh, eminently powerful it is. Yeah. Like, no one really thinks that SNL is out there creating the best comedy anyone has ever seen, but... It's basically the comedy Olympics every week. And the Academy's the same way. These old people behind the scenes don't vote in line with you or I, but we gotta pay attention because they're the ones with all the power. They've got all the money. Listen, if Spider-Man Far From Home, No Far Home, Home <laughs> Home Home, if Spider-Man no. Home 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 walks away... With an Oscar for best visual effects, that's huge for that yeah. team. Uh, even if we don't care what the Academy thinks, that, that would be huge for sure. And, and you know, the, I think the biggest snub of all is no, not even a mention of the Suicide Squad, meaning 
the Academy liked David Ayer's Suicide Squad more because they actually gave them an Oscar for like costumes or something than James Gunn's. I think the Academy has picked their horse. Listen, I we know that the Academy is in the pocket of Ayer for a yeah. while. And we know that, J- listen, how many James Gunn movies have been nominated for Oscars? That's right, fucking none. Zero. Not Slither. Not Sucker Punch. Not Sucker. That's Robert Rodriguez, I believe. I think you're wrong. Is it James Gunn? That's Zack Schneider. Oh, it's Zack Snyder. What the fuck are we, what the fuck kind of bullshit operation are we running that we didn't remember that Sucker Punch was a Zack Snyder film? Name another James Gunn that's not Marvel. You know what also wasn't up there? Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, but technically I don't think they counted that because it maybe it was in a couple of theaters, but it wasn't in like the specific theater it, it had to be in. So I don't know if it was ever up for contention. Sure. Wait, did you want me to say another? What'd you I say? I did. Oh, say another James Gunn movie that's not Marvel. Uh, Super Brightburn. Brightburn not, I don't. I didn't Brightburn's like Super not. or Brightburn that much. Brightburn's not Zack Schneider. No, it's James Gunn. I no, it's not him either. I'm conflating them in my head. Wait, no, Brightburn is James Gunn. No, it isn't. It absolutely is James Gunn. Brightburn's director is David Yaravisky. What? Where's James Gunn on this? He's not involved. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, Slither and Super then. What is super? Let's see. He also, super I think he directed a uh, Toxic Avenger movie. James Gunn. Okay. Got him. Oh, Tromeo and Juliet. <laughs> the fuck? Tromeo and Juliet? Okay, whatever. <laughs> let's move it's, on. Let's, let's move, move on. past this. I can't separate James Gunn and Zack Schneider in my head. The one of them is a way better filmmaker. The Oscars are canceled. <laughs> yeah, they're canceled. One, they snubbed us. Two, they, they snubbed, snubbed the Green Knight. Three, the they, Green they, Knight. they they snubbed. <laughs> I don't know why that threw me off. <laughs> All you were doing was repeating what I said. <laughs> All I was doing was repeating what you said. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 Snub the Green Knight. Fuck the Oscars, buddy. Snub James Gunn. You know, The Suicide Squad was good. I've heard that Peacemaker show's good. Yeah, people have been talking about it, and uh, I, I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, sure. I'm still desperately trying to watch The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a good show. It's, it's just it's really show. just really strange to watch a show that's like... 60% exceptional and 40% not great. Yeah, you just gotta hang in there. But the exceptional parts are so, so good. How, what? How many episodes have you seen? Five. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay, that's what everyone says, is that we're on the precipice of something that people can't stop talking about. You've already seen five. Wait. The last episode I saw ended with a millennial uh, motorcycle chase for some Bib Fortuna-looking motherfucker. Okay, then you've seen four, not five. Okay, (laughs) is five the one? Five is the one. Is five the Bryce Dallas Howard-directed episode? That Okay. 
episode five is the Bryce Dallas Howard. That's hard to say. Episode, and she did a great job. Directed by Gwen Stacy. Spider Man? Yeah, Spider Man 3. <laughs> Spider Man 3 Jazz. Oh my god. Spider Man 3 Jazz movie. Okay. This, this is, we're spiraling. This we will need... be the last thing we talk about. Spider Man 3 is actually a lot better than people give it credit for. It's just too busy. It's absolutely too busy, but here's the thing Sam Raimi reined it in for two whole movies. And then they gave him the last one. He's like, listen, I saw all the rewrites for the script. I'm going to do the final script rewrite. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to direct it. And guess what? 25 minutes of it will be a weird homage to jazz culture. Yeah. Peter Parker turns to the camera, is backlit by a spotlight and says, now take this. So good. It's so good. Mm. It's, it's so good. What an awful movie. Mm. What a great, terrible movie. Second movie Mm. written by Michael Chabon. What a strange time for superhero movies that was. It was the only superhero movie happening. Yeah. We would not have the Marvel Cinematic Universe if it wasn't for Peter Parker doing a weird little pervert's dance on the street. Yeah. Peter, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker walked so the Marvel Universe could run. Yeah, he his weird his weird grimacing face uh gave us Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Yeah, single handedly. And you know, it was pioneered good. the Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, ba da da. No ba da da. Yeah, ba da da. Snub the Green Knight. Sorry, I got a song stuck in my head and I can't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't sing it. I can't. Uh snub the Green Knight. No, don't snub the Green Knight. Everyone go watch the Green Knight. Please watch the Green Knight. Get Apple TV. Share your password with us. Share with us. But watch the Green Knight. Snub the Green Knight. Watch Ted Lasso. No. I don't I haven't seen it. I don't have Apple TV. I need one of your passwords. This is a call. All zero credits listeners. This is the call going out to all zero please credit detectives. Send us your passwords to Apple TV. We need them. Listen, we just need access to certain services. Send us your passwords to Apple TV. Send us your passwords to Hulu. Send us your passwords to Chase. Send us your passwords to Chase. <laughs> To J.P. Morgan, Discover Card. Hold on, John. Those are... Send us your passwords to PayPal. I don't like where this is headed, and I feel like we should end it here. Send us your passwords to your tax preparation software of choice. No, stop. Okay, well, we'll end it, but you heard what I said. I heard it. And the listeners heard it. And they heard it. And now they can hear this. This is how you're going to send us your passwords, everyone. This is Oh, 13 a... Ghosts! James Gunn... Fuck, Steve Beck directed 13 Ghosts. God damn it. That's right. You can send us your passwords in a various amount of ways. Here's one of them. You can tweet them to us at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And I believe I'm getting word that John knows what that stands for. Yes, that stands for James Gunn did direct a short called Sergeant Kabuki Man Public Service Announcement. 
That is correct. So send us your email. No, send us your passwords on tweets. You can DM us. Our DMs are open, or you can just do it publicly, and no one else would understand. Uh, but if you want more privacy in your message sending, you can email us your passwords to email at zerocredits.net. Uh, we are the only email at that address. That's how email works. Uh, we're on a number of pod scraping services such as Spotify and Podcast Addict, Good Pods, Pod Chaser, etc. If you could follow us on those things and maybe leave a rating while you're at it, we would greatly appreciate it. We just want to prove to our, our naysayers that people listen to the podcast. We get bullied at the bus stop. Uh, but the most important thing you can do is besides sending us your Apple TV passwords is just tell a friend about the podcast and that you listen to us and make sure to tell them we will never talk about Joe Rogan again. We, we got it out of our systems. We're done and we can move on to greener pastures. Hey, next week is the big game. Uh, we're going to talk about big game commercials to celebrate episode 250. That's right. We're kicking off the new season with a fan favorite where we talk about big game commercials. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, I'm sorry, but I, for legal reasons, cannot say the actual name of the event. Uh, it is copyrighted and trademarked, and they are very litigious. But tell a friend about the podcast. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. And with that, I bid you adieu. This is the first time in Zero Credits history where the start of a new season has coincided with one of us having to edit multiple mentions of the the non-generic term for big game out of an episode because we always forget. We always drink our little big game beers and we forget and we say it 150 times. I know. I'm going to try to keep it straight, but we'll find well, – we're just going to forget it. It's going to be great. Yeah. But that's that's next week, and uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, Could we in. spoonerize it? Could we spoonerize it and say soul booper? <laughs> Is that easier? Would we remember to say soul booper? Soul booper? Why would, you... would we say booper soul? Okay, so that's an actual spoonerism. Booper soul? I don't. Maybe it rhymes. Booper soul. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to practice saying booper soul for the next <laughs> week. Every person I meet for the next week, I will say only booper soul. But to you, I will say from everyone here at the zero credits five bedroom six bathroom, we're buying up all the real estate, baby. Forty seven hundred dollars a month in rent, baby. Pay my mortgage, baby studios. We'd like to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Pay my mortgage. No. Oh.